Chapter Four of the Ascent of Mount Saint Elias, Alaska, by Filippo de Filippi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. The History of Mount Saint Elias. Those who went first and opened the way are not less entitled to credit than those who came afterwards and reaped the fruit of their predecessors' labors. D. Freshfield most geographers apply the name of st elias alps to the whole mountain system bounded by st elias to the north and la perouse to the south for a long stretch of about a hundred and eighty geographical miles these alps run parallel with the pacific coast and separated from the sea by a narrow strip almost entirely covered by the mighty glaciers flowing down from the range yakutat bay thrusting inland by the narrow and tortuous fjord known as disenchantment bay divides the mountains into two groups consisting of the fairweather chain to the south and of the cook and st elias chains to the north yakutat bay is twenty miles wide at the entrance and retains the same width for some distance inland until narrowed by an abrupt curve of its eastern coast as far as the opening of disenchantment bay which is barely three miles wide the greater part of the eastern coast guarded by a string of low wooded islands and with many natural creeks forms a high plateau rising from two thousand to three thousand feet above the sea and covered with forests this plateau is dominated by a low mountain range with numerous snow fields and glaciers joining fairweather to the south and running round the head of the bay until it is finally merged in the cook range beyond the west coast of the gulf forms the eastern flank of a great tableland bounded on the south by the pacific with an almost unbroken shoreline exposed to the full fury of the ocean surf the malaspina glacier spreads over this plateau at an average height of fifteen hundred feet above the sea rising gradually to the feet of the mighty chains behind and extending for a distance as yet unknown to the west of mount st elias the mighty glaciers which flow down the southern flank of the range to feed the malaspina will be mentioned farther on the entire region to the north of the St. Elias and Cook chains is still unexplored. C. Willard Hayes, who has crossed overland from the Yukon Basin to that of the Copper River, is the only traveler who has given any information about the great glaciers which flow to the north. On the 20th July, 1741, Vitus Bering, a Russian navigator, discovered the south coast of Alaska, and anchored his vessel, the St. Peter, off the island of Kayak, a hundred and eighty miles north of Yakutat. Southeast of his moorings, he saw a great mountain rising from the sea, and covered with snow from summit to base. In honor of the patron saint of the day, this peak was named St. Elias. It is possible that the name was not chosen entirely on that account. Mr. Freshfield has observed that the prophet Elias seems to be the special patron of mountains, wherever the eastern forms of Christianity have prevailed many mountains in greece bear the same name and are crowned with chapels dedicated to the saint while the altars of zeus on olympus have been replaced by monasteries likewise dedicated to saint elias in the caucasus there is still a tradition that when the primitive tribes were driven up into the mountains by the circassians the vision of the outraged saint was frequently seen on the highest peaks and that they carried offerings to him of milk butter and beer some writers derive the saint's connection with mountains from the important part in the transfiguration assigned to elias by the greek church whereas it is asserted by others that owing to similarity of name 
Elias succeeded to altars originally dedicated to Helios, the sun. Mr. Freshfield suggests that another explanation might be found in the survival of the belief attributed to the prophet's sons, who sent an expedition composed of fifty strong men in search of Elias, thinking that, peradventure, the spirit of the Lord hath cast him upon some mountain. Mount St. Elias brought no good fortune to its discoverers. For three months the St. Peter lay in Alaskan waters, buffeted by storms, and was then wrecked by a hurricane on the coast of the Commander Islands. Bering died there with most of his crew. The few survivors wintered on the islands, afterwards succeeded in reaching the coast of Kamchatka, and finally got back to Russia. The first measurement of St. Elias was made in 1786 by Monsieur d'Aguilet, astronomer to the expedition round the world undertaken by La Perouse, with his two ships, La Boussole and L'Astrolabe. By his calculation, the height was 12,672 feet. The summit rose above the clouds. Between the long chain of snow peaks and the sea lay a great plateau which, according to La Perouse's description, looked completely bare of vegetation, and composed of black calcined-looking rock, contrasted strangely with the snow-covered mountains. The Gulf of Yakutat, named Bay de Monte by La Perouse, was rechristened Admiralty Bay by G. Dixon, who, entering it in 1787, was the first explorer of its shores, and anchored his vessel at Port Mulgrave, where an Indian village already existed, with some seventy inhabitants. A few years later, in 1792, Spain dispatched two ships, commanded by the Italian captain Don Alejandro Malaspina, to seek the famous northwest passage between the two oceans. On entering Yakutat Bay, Malaspina discovered that it was prolonged inland by an arm in which he hoped to find the beginning of the desired channel. But the boats sent to explore it found the way barred by a cliff of ice at a short distance from the mouth. They named the inlet Puerto del Desengaño, Disenchantment Bay, and the island in it Hankey. Their observations fixed the height of St. Elias at 65,076 varas, 17,851 feet its position at 60 degrees, 17 minutes, 35 seconds latitude north, and 140 degrees, 52 minutes, 17 seconds longitude west, Greenwich. On Malaspina's return to Spain, he fell into disgrace and was imprisoned, so that his discoveries remained unrecognized for many years. Another famous navigator mentioned in the history of Alaska is G. Vancouver, who, in the year 1794, explored Yagatat Bay and the neighboring coasts with his vessels the Discovery and the Chatham. He gave the name of Point Manby to the headland bounding the western entrance to the bay. The plateau he described as bare ground, strewn with stone, rising in a gentle and even slope to the spurs of the lofty mountains dominated by St. Elias. He also noted that east of Yagatat Bay, in a creek towards the Pacific, Icy Bay, the coast seemed to consist of a vertical wall of ice. No other account of St. Elias and its precincts is to be found until 1852, the date of Tebenkoff's report, chiefly founded on the information obtained from Russian traders. Here the height of St. Elias is stated to be 17,000 feet. Its position, 61 degrees, 2 minutes, 6 seconds latitude north, and 140 degrees, four minutes longitude west, at thirty miles from the sea. 
Tebenkoff states that in 1839 smoke was seen issuing from a crater on the southeast flank of the mountain, and that an eruption of fire and ashes took place in 1847, contemporaneously with an earthquake experienced at Sitka. The lowlands at the base of St. Elias are described as tundras covered with forests and pastures, and it is added that through fissures in the sandy soil you could see a substratum of ice subsequently these fables of fictitious eruptions being collected and repeated though with every reserve as to their authenticity by w h dahl created the belief so long prevalent that mount st elias was a volcano this theory was apparently corroborated by the curious shape of the southern crest of the mountain which is so curved as to form a great amphitheatre resembling a real crater successive explorations have proved that the st elias group shows no trace of volcanic action but a curious phenomenon observed by topham may perhaps explain why certain navigators thought they saw mount st elias in eruption from the sea down one of the very steep gullies about three hundred feet deep scoring the inner side of the so-called crater there were perpetual falls of stones and detritus and these avalanches sent up lofty columns of dust which caught by the wind simulated whirls of smoke even topham on seeing this effect at a distance believed at first that it proceeded from a volcano mr russell likewise noted that great clouds of dust were sent up by the falls of shale detritus on the south face of mount augusta on other occasions similar causes have led to the same mistake in seventeen forty one a commissioner was sent from turin to inspect the new volcano said to have broken out in the savoy alps which proved to be simply a landslip from the Rocher de Fiz near Servoz d'Assou. A similar landslip in the present century led to a rumor that the extinct volcano of Mount Ararat had burst into life again. When Mr. Freshfield was on Mont Blanc in 1867, he saw a cloud of dust caused by a landslip near the Little St. Bernard Pass, fifteen miles from the spot where he stood this phenomenon lasted for several weeks and no spectator at a distance could possibly recognize its real nature and cause the next expedition to alaska was that dispatched in eighteen seventy four by the united states survey directed by w h dahl and m baker which gleaned a rich harvest of geographical and geological data and much new information on the glacial phenomena of the region it was this expedition which first ascertained the real nature of the plateau interposed between the mountain chains and the sea i e that it consisted of a huge glacier and named it the malaspina then too the cook vancouver and malaspina peaks were identified and christened the height of st elias was calculated at nineteen thousand six hundred feet with a probable miscalculation of four hundred feet more or less and the position was fixed as sixty degrees twenty minutes forty five seconds latitude north and one hundred and forty one degrees zero minutes twelve seconds longitude west by this time mount st elias had won a definite place on the maps of alaska and it is astonishing that the exceptional characteristics of the country with such lofty mountains and glaciers of such unusual extent should not have immediately tempted more explorers to attack those virgin peaks and penetrate to the heart of the new region difficulty of access must have been the chief cause of this delay there is no commercial motive to attract vessels to this zone of forests and ice fields where a small native population finds the barest subsistence and where communications with other parts of the continent are few and irregular 
in the spring of eighteen seventy seven mr c e s wood being determined to attempt an excursion to st elias found no means of proceeding beyond sitka save by indian canoe this conveyed him to cape spencer at the northern extremity of the archipelago but as the indians were afraid to risk their little craft on the open sea along an absolutely harborless coast his journey was suspended the first real expedition for the purpose of making the ascent of st elias only dates from eighteen eighty six and was organized by the new york times it consisted of messieurs f schwatka w libby and an englishman lieutenant h w seton carr they made the passage to yakutat in the pinta of the u s navy on july seventeenth they sailed from the bay in indian canoes followed the pacific coast the mouth of the yahtse river south of st elias and at no little risk effected a landing through the surf they brought two white porters and four indians keeping to the eastern side of the extensive delta of mud stones and sand intersected by numberless branches of the yahtse they reached the point where the river issues by a great tunnel out of the glacier and climbed to the edge of the frozen plateau which is covered with a thick stratum of moraine detritus the ice tunnel through which the river runs is about eight miles long and ends at the foot of certain heights which the explorers name the shea hills the course of the tunnel is indicated by a depression in the surface overhead caused by the junction of lateral moraines of the two glaciers which flow down to the coast on either side of the Otzi. the glaciers themselves actually join overhead forming the ice roof of the tunnel the expedition gave the name of guyot to the glacier on the west side of the Otzi and agassiz to that on the east the latter however is really the western extremity of the malaspina glacier at the feet of the shea hills in the deep hollow dividing them from the guyot and agassiz glaciers two swift torrents rush down and uniting their waters at the south end of the range form a lake to which the explorers gave the name of cayetani in honor of don honorato cayetani duke of Ceremoneta, at that time president of the italian geographical society footnote in the account given by h w seton carr and in the map of this region prepared subsequently by h w topham by some mistake the word castani has been erroneously substituted for cayetani a well-known name in italy End footnote. the river yahtse issues from this lake only to plunge into the tunnel just described whenever this subglacial passage becomes choked with ice blocks and moraine material lake cayetani overflows and then a good portion of the river makes its way towards the sea over the surface of the glacier once the passage cleared the whole river again disappears beneath the ice while the lake shrinks and sometimes disappears altogether the caravan first marched to the western end of the shea range then having dwindled to three men i e schwatka setonkar and one of the white porters it crossed the tyndall glacier which flows straight down the southwest flank of st elias and gaining the chain of hills bounding the mountain to the west began to ascend their slope schwatka came to a halt at about fifty eight hundred feet setonkar proceeded alone and reached the top of the ridge at about seventy two hundred feet but cloudy weather and the lateness of the hour compelled him to retreat the enterprise was plainly impossible with the means at their disposal and it was decided to return to the coast sixteen miles away on the thirtieth july after some abortive attempts the little band succeeded in putting out to sea but were obliged to leave their baggage behind 
this expedition had taken fourteen days and had been favored by exceptionally dry weather the results obtained by it consisted of a sketch map of the region and the first stock of reliable observations on the nature of the country and the difficulties to be overcome in exploring it two years later the attempt was repeated by the english alpinists messrs w h and e topham and g broke together with mr w williams of new york sailing from sitka on the third of july eighteen eighty eight in a small schooner they reached yakutat in seven days proceeding thence in indian canoes they landed on the thirteenth near the mouth of the Yatsi, about fifty-five miles east of port mulgrave the very point where schwatka had disembarked the surf was not very high at the time and the landing was made without trouble but fifteen hours later it would have been impossible the explorers with their party consisting of four white porters and six indians followed the same course taken by schwatka as far as the shea hills then bearing eastward they climbed a glacier that girdles the base of the southeast wall of st elias at a level of fifteen hundred to two thousand feet and pours into the malaspina with an ice cascade a thousand feet high this glacier they named after libby a string of low hills connecting the shea range with the southern face of st elias separates it to the west from the tyndall glacier discovered by schwatka but the explorers soon perceived that it was impossible to make the ascent of the precipitous southeast flank which rose to over sixteen thousand feet and was rendered unapproachable by masses of snow and ice which fell constantly in formidable avalanches sweeping the rock wall from top to bottom accordingly they went back to lake cayetani and followed the course taken by schwatka as far as the western side of the tyndall glacier carr's hills which seton carr had reached here broke was obliged to halt having broken his snow spectacles the others recrossed the glacier and camped at the foot of the south bastion of st elias exactly beneath the point where the ridge curves round and forms the amphitheatre which was mistaken for a crater after one failure they managed to win the crest of the ridge it was covered with thick snow over which they proceeded cutting steps in the steeper places about two o'clock p m they reached the northern side of the amphitheatre where the ridge ceases to bend and runs almost straight up to the summit their aneroid and boiling point thermometer registered a height of eleven thousand four hundred and sixty feet here the ridge rose in a very steep cliff fifteen hundred feet high and almost entirely coated with blue ice which would have required several hours of step cutting beyond at about seven thousand feet above this cliff soared the summit capped with snow and bordered by a huge cornice it was hopeless to think of winning the peak that day and very reluctantly the explorers returned to their camp the point of the ridge which they had reached and which when seen from below appeared to be a separate peak dominating the amphitheatre to the north was named by them hayden's peak the walls of this amphitheatre are almost vertical composed of stratified rock striated and furrowed by the continual falls of stones and detritus produced by the process of disintegration the bottom of the hollow is filled by a glacier which flows out through an opening to the east the whole extent of the southwest face of st elias was visible from the ridge and seemed no less inaccessible than the southeast face no rocks showed any trace of volcanic action the expedition employed five days in regaining the coast and reached yakutat the tenth of august after nearly a month's absence 
the time had come for scientific societies to reinforce private enterprise in the work of exploration with the larger funds at their disposal they could afford to either assist or even to actually fit out expeditions on their own account for the purpose of surveying the country and studying its interesting natural phenomena in eighteen ninety the united states national geographical society and the geological survey united to send an expedition to the st elias region under the direction of professor j c russell a well-known writer on glacial geology and one of the explorers of the yukon basin mr m b kerr was to accompany him as topographer to the expedition professor russell made the best use of the lessons learnt from the experiences of former explorers his expedition was organized at seattle supplies for three months were packed in hermetically sealed tins to prevent them from being spoiled by the excessive dampness of the climate during the long journey over snow and ice the light equipment including tents waterproofs blankets special petroleum stoves and a good stock of fuel would have enabled the expedition to spend many days at a high level above the line of vegetation it had been found that the indians accompanying former expeditions while very useful in the lowlands were totally unfitted for mountain work accordingly professor russell enlisted six american porters at seattle led by j h christie finally the expedition was supplied with the necessary instruments for topographical survey the party started from seattle on the sixteenth of june and reached port mulgrave on the twenty seventh making the passage from sitka to yakutat on the u s a pinta early on the twenty eighth they put to sea in canoes skirting the east side of the bay between the islands and the shore crossed the mouth of disenchantment bay on the first of july and landed at the northwest corner of yakutat bay at the base of the eastern spurs of the cook chain although so far from the mouth of the bay they found the beach lined by white breakers luckily not formidable enough to prevent landing in ordinary weather numerous iceberg fragments of the glaciers which thrust their snouts into the waters of disenchantment bay are caught by the waves and currents and driven in upon the beach at the head of yakutat bay in great storms the waves rushing into the bay lift the floating masses and toss them far up on the shore the clashing of the blocks of ice as they collide joined with the howling of the wind and the roar of the sea creates an appalling tumult after leaving their first camp russell took a westerly course and scaled the successive southern spurs of the cook chain and crossed the snouts of many confluents of the malaspina glacier which flowed down between these spurs here the ice was almost concealed under a stratum of moraine consisting of detritus pebbles together with boulders of every size many small lakes occur in these frontal moraines and streams of water which issue from ice caves and run in the open for some distance before disappearing into other tunnels russell named these glaciers going from east to west the black galliano atrevida lucia hayden and marvine in the center of the frontal moraine of the latter a jutting spur forms an island covered with firs which shelter a luxuriant vegetation gay with myriads of flowers russell christened this blossom island and fixed a base camp there with a store of food to be carried up later as required by detachments of porters from the shore to blossom island was a thirty-one days march the porters had to make many journeys from one camping place to another to carry forward all the equipment meanwhile russell and kerr had been occupied in geological investigations and topographical surveys which often led them far out of their definite tract 
everywhere russell discovered the evidence of the shrinkage of the glaciers ledges in the rock walls of the various valleys indicating the height formerly reached by the ice beds some seven hundred to eight hundred feet above their actual level marvine glacier at the foot of which stands blossom island flows direct from the south face of mount cook and is bounded to the west by a long spur that projects far into the malaspina bearing from northeast to southwest this spur is cleft midway by a deep ravine the southern half thus quite separated forms as it were a distinct chain about eight miles long russell named this the hitchcock range and the cleft pinnacle pass on account of some sharp peaks which dominate it to the north the pass is barely two hundred to three hundred feet wide and is four thousand feet above the sea two glaciers flow down from it one an affluent of the marvine steep and much crevassed running east the other flowing westward at a gentler angle and falling into a huge ice stream of far larger dimensions than the rest of the malaspina affluents to which russell gave the name of seward glacier the vanguard of the expedition crossed pinnacle pass on the fifth august after a night's halt on the marvine glacier where they had been in serious danger from a fall of stones caused by a violent rainstorm bad weather and the necessity of awaiting the arrival of stores from the lower camps confined russell and kerr several days to the neighborhood of the pass they gave the name of mount logan to a mighty peak north of the augusta chain and two peaks rising on the northern branch of the cook range were called mount owen and mount irving between august the thirteenth and sixteenth russell effected a passage from the seward to the agassiz glaciers by following a depression in the spur samovar hills dividing one from the other the two snow domes which crown this col won for it the name of dome pass four thousand three hundred feet here the explorers saw before them an open valley filled by a glacier that flows into the agassiz in a great cascade of seracs after crossing this they looked straight up to mount st elias with no intervening obstacles to impede the view and the route to the summit seemed clearly traced the valley they had entered was formed by two ridges of the mountain and was shut in at the end by a wall which led to a spacious col between the cone of st elias on the south and a lower summit to the north to the latter and to the glacier filling the valley russell gave the name of newton the divide was connected with a peak of mount st elias by a long ridge which seemed to offer a comparatively easy passage but the newton glacier furrowed with numerous wide crevasses and formidable cascade-like seracs was prepared to oppose a fierce resistance to the desired conquest on reaching the second cascade after several hours struggle through the labyrinth of ice blocks and among enormous crevasses barring the way in every direction they were compelled to take a very perilous route skirting the south wall of the valley where avalanches of snow and ice fall down from the slopes above with great frequency halfway up the glacier a spur projecting some distance across the valley presented an apparently insurmountable obstacle after repeated attempts they contrived to hitch a rope over the crag of a vertical cliff and were thus enabled to climb to the second newton plateau and haul up their packs one more ice-fall alone separated them from the terminal wall mounting to the coal when bad weather joined with the difficulties of the glacier in checking the progress of the little band during the whole of august twenty second and twenty third it snowed incessantly so that russell and kerr who had started from the highest camp to attack the peak were obliged to descend to the foot of the cliff rope cliff to which they had fixed their cord 
when the weather cleared on the twenty fifth they resumed the attack while the two men who had come up with them went down to fetch supplies from a lower camp after several hours march russell and kerr discovered that they had very little petroleum left this was a serious blow at a level where without fuel water was not to be obtained fire was needed also to enable them to warm themselves with hot tea or coffee and bake their raw flour in this emergency russell decided to push on alone as far as the point whence the snowstorm had driven them and to wait there while kerr dashed down to catch up with the porters and get the petroleum from them as evening fell russell halted tired out rigged up his tent and went to sleep during the night it began to snow again and continued for two days the flakes fell thickly and continuously until the tent was half buried the sides bending in beneath the heavy weight russell had no longer room to lie within and was forced to hollow out a chamber in the snow having no petroleum he contrived to make a feeble fire by means of a rag dipped in melted bacon for six days he remained alone in the waste of snow then as the weather had cleared and none of his comrades appeared he went down the mountain to seek them leaving his tent behind after a few hours he met the porters coming up guided by kerr the blinding snowfall had detained the latter at rope cliff during three whole days with neither shelter nor fuel and for the last thirty hours no food save raw flour the men only joined him on the twenty ninth of august there was nothing for it but to bow to fate in spite of russell's tenacious and often rash courage there was no longer any hope of conquering the peak the weather being almost continuously bad the newly fallen snow remained so soft that getting through it was very slow and exhausting work waterproofs were an insufficient protection from the damp and both clothes and blankets had been soaked through for days the transport of supplies was also becoming very difficult besides the glare of snow had affected the eyes of most of the party and in spite of their smoked spectacles they could hardly endure the light the return journey began on the first of september kerr who was broken down by the days and nights he had spent without shelter in the snow went straight back to the coast russell however made one more excursion up the seward glacier to the northwest spur of mount owen and another from blossom island some miles distance on the malaspina for the purpose of studying its glacial phenomena the rain was almost incessant during his whole descent he reached the shore on the fifteenth of september on the twenty-third he embarked in the corwin sent expressly to convey the expedition back to the united states the interest roused by russell's scientific report on the region he had inspected was so great that the geographical society and the geological survey decided to dispatch him thither again in the following year in order that he might collect additional scientific data extend his field of exploration and renew the attack on mount st elias accordingly on the fourth of june eighteen ninety one russell and six white porters put into yakutat on the u s a bear this time he resolved to follow the example of messrs schwatka and topham by landing at a point of the coast near mount st elias by the mouth of the yahtse river but while disembarking a heavy disaster occurred either the surf was stronger than usual or the bears boats were less fitted for landing than light indian canoes be it as it may the first two boats were capsized by the breakers and six of the party drowned one of mr russell's porters was among the victims on the following day the attempt was renewed and this time with success russell went ashore on the eighth of june by the tenth all the baggage had been carried to the edge of the malaspina moraine 
this was covered by so dense a forest that they were forced to work with hatchets for a whole day to cut a passage by the twentieth of june everything had been conveyed across the moraine to the brink of the bare ice during the work of transport russell spent several days on the shea hills studying their geological formation and building a sledge to facilitate the porterage of stores over the snow then pushing on to the extreme southwest corner of the samovar hills july twelfth he reascended the agassiz glacier to the foot of the ice cascade which terminates the newton glacier this he had reached the preceding year in coming down from the dome pass he was familiar with the route beyond this point up the newton valley and aware of the difficulties to be encountered climbing all the ice cascades in succession and crossing the intervening plateaus he came to the foot of the last cascade where he had on the previous occasion passed those six days of solitary confinement in danger of being buried under the snow this last difficulty also overcome he reached the upper amphitheatre of the glacier on the twentieth of july and planted his upper camp there at the height of a little over eight thousand feet it had taken him eight days to attain this level from the foot of the agassiz glacier and almost six weeks from the coast he and his two porters stayed twelve days at this camp with almost continual bad weather so that he had only one opportunity on the twenty fourth of august of attempting the ascent starting with his men at two o'clock a m twenty fourth august he made for the head of the valley where it is barred by an ice wall rising to the divide between mount st elias and mount newton this ascent was so steep that steps had to be cut nearly the whole way up while great transversal crevasses added much to the difficulty of the climb at some parts of the ascent they had to pass under overhanging masses of ice threatening them with avalanches finally at midday the party landed safely on the col after a short rest they attacked the broad ridge that runs thence straight up to the summit of mount st elias but soon they grew tired it was rather late in the afternoon and the peak still soared high above them although they had already climbed a great distance from the camp to be overtaken by nightfall without any shelter at such an altitude would have involved too serious a risk the more so as slight vapors beginning to cloud the hitherto perfectly clear sky threatened a change in the weather so with the deepest reluctance russell was obliged to give up all hope of completing the ascent that day it was four o'clock p m and the expedition had reached the height of fourteen thousand five hundred feet night had already fallen when they got down to their tent in a very wearied condition the presage of evil weather was fulfilled on the following day russell had planned to carry the tent and the supplies to the divide being convinced of the impossibility of covering in one day with the force at his disposal and without intervals of rest the distance from the base plateau to the top the weather having slightly improved on the twenty eighth the party started off again laden with supplies in order to establish their station on the coal but newly fallen snow had formed a heavy layer on the steep sides of the amphitheatre and this was now breaking into innumerable avalanches which swept down to the valley with irresistible force there was danger on all sides from the precipices of mount st elias and mount newton and even from the coal to which the party was ascending russell felt that it would be too great a risk to proceed and so returned to the camp where dense snowfalls during the ensuing days finally destroyed every hope of success on the first of august retreat was decided upon the only digression from the downward route was a short excursion made to the libby glacier and the cliffs connecting the shea hills with the southern front of mount st elias by the tenth the expedition had reached the shore of icy bay where it had landed two months earlier 
Russell stayed there a week for the purpose of measuring by triangulation the heights of the chief summits of the group. The altitude of Mount St. Elias was calculated at 18,100 feet, with a possible error of 100 feet more or less. The expedition resumed its march on the 19th of August along the Pacific coast, in the direction of Yakutat Bay, sometimes over the pebbly beach, at other times through dense undergrowth in the woods, often fording torrents where the icy water was more than waist-high, and occasionally marching in the open over the moraine that covers the whole front of the Malaspina Glacier. Reaching Cape Mamby on the 27th, the explorers turned off from the Pacific coast to follow the west shore of Yakutat Bay, and at last, on the first of september reached the head of the gulf which had been the starting point of their expedition in the preceding year here russell found an indian canoe with a deposit of food supplied by the missionary of yakutat rev hendrickson he was thus enabled to make a thorough exploration of disenchantment bay into which no previous traveller had penetrated to any great distance he discovered that it winds a long way inland among the mountains, forming two sharp angles in turning from west to east and from north to south. Three great glaciers flow down into it, the Dalton, Hubbard, and Nunatak glaciers. In Malaspina's time, 1792, these glaciers entirely choked the east arm of the bay and extended to the island of Hankey. To the south, the bay lengthens into a fjord, penetrating into a large valley also formerly filled with ice from a glacier that flowed southwards, and which probably formed a great ice sheet, similar to Malaspina Glacier on the plateau overhanging the east coast of Yakutat Bay. On the 15th of September, Russell re-entered the village of Yakutat, and on the 1st of October, he steamed out of the bay on the USA Pinta and reached Seattle on the 21st, after nearly five months' absence. In this brief summary of the two expeditions which have so largely contributed to the world's knowledge regarding the Mount St. Elias region, I have scarcely touched upon Mr. Russell's geological discoveries or his observations on glacial phenomena. They are to be found in full in published reports of the Geographical Society and the Geological Survey. In describing the course taken by His Royal Highness's expedition, I shall have frequent occasion to refer to those works. Meanwhile, the foregoing historical sketch will suffice, I think, to furnish a general idea of the character of the region to which we were bound, and the nature of the task we were about to accomplish, under the guidance of our chief, His Royal Highness, the Duke of the Abruzzi. End of chapter 4